0: The Saturday between Good Friday and today, Resurrection Sunday, is the hardest day of the year for me. I don't know what to do with my emotions on that day. Unfortunately, and fortunately, I know the end of the story. But Friday, I'm reminded of what my Savior went through to bear my sin, to absorb it. And I think about that, and I want to get to victory, but I want to remain in that space for a while. It's hard to deal with it emotionally. God gave me a gift this year, a family reached out to me, the Vincent family, their mother and Vincent, after living a long life and a joyful life, had passed away earlier in the week. And they said, "Uh, it's kind of odd to ask this, we know it's a busy weekend, but would you do the memorial service on Saturday? I said, absolutely. We celebrated her. We told stories. We laughed, but we cried and we grieved. I was Betwixt and between again. Then I had to lower her body into that grave and watch the dirt being put over there, and yet watching the family smile with hope, because we were between two realities, crucifixion, which is essential for our salvation, but resurrection, which turns crucifixion into victory. You see, without today, Friday just remains as bad Friday. Think about it. Why would you call somebody being crucified's day Good Friday? It's ridiculous. And then I began walking around the cemetery. That's interesting. These big granite monuments to people. I just said from the common book of prayer, we bring nothing into the world. We take nothing out of the world. I wonder what they were leaving in those granite buildings. But right next to it would be a little pitiful cross. The monument didn't inspire me all, but the cross brought my heart alive. But then I thought, isn't that ridiculous? A cross? It's ridiculous unless the story is true. The Apostle Paul says it this way, I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you, in which you have received, which you have uh, stood, and by which you are being saved. That Christ died for us according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose after three days according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared. You see, today changes everything, even the question of death for us. Resurrection Sunday lets the cork be popped in our lives, overcoming all the things that are dying. So let's just go to one of the accounts. You know, there are multiple accounts that people give of the resurrection. And I know that Jesus is alive because he appears to us in different ways, but there's a historical track record that you can follow and do good research. John leaves one of these stories. He writes about 20 years or 30 years after the other gospel writers. Now, he could have written the story in a way that would have made it sound like the other ones, but you can tell it's witness history because he tells it from his own experience. He was, one of the, he was the only disciple who remained around the cross. Everyone else fled except a bunch of women, it's amazing how women stand up and men are fleeing all over the place, and John. And he gives this account of how resurrection became a reality to him. Verse 1 of chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. That little adverb now, three letters, tells us there's something before that we need to pay attention to. John recounts the last words that Jesus spoke in the chapter before from the cross. It's interesting. Each gospel writer gives different words that Jesus spoke. That's how you write history. If you're making up a story, you would repeat the same things over and over so you would have confirmation. And this is what John writes. Jesus had received sour wine and he yelled out, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was he saying when it was finished? Not his life. He was saying his work was finished. He had come to absorb your sin and your sin and all of our sin and my sin. And Jesus could say, It is finished. They take his dead, cold body off of the uh, cross, and he gets a borrowed tomb in which they prepare him. Now, in verse 41, it says this about uh, that. Um, let's go back to verse 40. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices. Now, we've been following this series, Robes in the Bible. We saw Jesus' glorious robe that was revealed to Isaiah coming down into the temple. We know because of John's testimony that Isaiah was seeing Jesus' robe. We saw the robe that the soldiers put upon Jesus when they were mocking him. They said, if you're a king, save yourself. But his final resting robe, are linen grave cloth. Think about it for a moment. This is the one who had raised Lazarus just a few days before and said to the people after he came out of the grave, hey, why don't you take those grave off of his head so that he would be free? This is Jesus' final robe in his pre-resurrection body. And John continues, Mary comes to the tomb and finds that it's empty. Very interesting reality here in the writing of history. Some people say, well, certainly the disciples made it up. There's some factors here that suggest that it's not made up. The other three gospel writers mention Mary, but they mention other women that are there. John is smart enough 20 years later if he wanted to take away, there's no contradiction here. He's telling the story from his perspective because in a moment, Mary's going to come running to him. He's not worried about the other women in the story. And besides, in ancient history, if you were going to have a new religion start, you wouldn't start it on the witness of women. Remember, Josephus, the historian, said you don't trust the witness of a woman. Even the Talmud, the Hebrew uh, interpretation of the scriptures, says it takes two women's witness to be equal to one man. If you were going to start something, you wouldn't start with women as first responders. And you would tighten the story up, wouldn't you? John's just telling it how he experienced it. All of a sudden, Mary comes bursting into their room. Verse 2, So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, to whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. Now, in ancient history, when you wanted to talk about yourself in writing, you would use the third person. Celebrities do that today. They refer to themselves as his or her. But in ancient society, you would do that. So John is saying, when Mary came, she came to Peter and to me, the unnamed disciple. And by the way, he's the one the Lord loved. (laughs) You've heard me say it before. Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. And this is John slipping that in there to remind us. The news gets out and they start running towards the tomb. Mary has made an assumption. She says they have taken His body. I think find it interesting when contemporary scholars say, the problem with us today is we're post-enlightenment and we no longer believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in resurrection either. As dissonant as my Saturday is for me, theirs was one of total total being distraught. All their confidence had been in Jesus. They had seen the things that Jesus had done. They were there. They had witnessed the healing. They had witnessed him speaking to the wind and the waves and bringing them still. They had witnessed him multiplying the bread. They had put all their confidence in the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. But their story did not have room for a Messiah on the cross. The women come, not expecting resurrection. If they did, they would have had breakfast with them. They came with spices because they want to honor this one that they had followed, even though they were distraught about the reality. Both of them running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Ah, John's always winning. A few years younger, he beats Peter, and stooping to look in, uh... Both of them running together, Peter reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Simon, Peter, came following him and went into the tomb when he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, if you can just picture it for a moment, we got to picture it this morning while we were out in the south end. As the sun's coming up, your eyes are adjusting. You're trying to get a picture. John arrives there first. He's not quite ready to go in. Peter's the bold one. He's going to try to do everything first. He goes running in. They're adjusting their eyes. And John, not quite sure, but he sees linen that's laying there. But Peter discovers it's linen and it's a face cloth that has been folded. Immediately after that, now John has courage. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. So what's going on here? The linen cloth is not disturbed. They tell us that because they want to remind us that it was not grave robbers. If there had been grave robbers, there would have been a lot of movement and things would have been all over the place. They're neatly there. But this one thing that Peter observes is this folded cloth that's laying apart from the other pieces. In fact, I think it's Peter seeing it that he says to John, John, you've got to see this. Because what's going on? In the ancient times, when you were an artisan, you would do your work, you would not allow anyone to see it until the work was finished. Actually, the word for face cloth that's used here has the Greek word sweat in it, so it would be a sweat band. The artisan would keep the cloth around their robe like this. And like any artist, you were not allowed to come in and see their work until it was done. If you're a painter, you know what that's like. You don't want someone to see your artwork in the middle. You have an imagination of where it's going. If you're a stone chiseler, you don't want people to see what you're doing in advance. Any of you who have remodeled a house, you don't want to be there when they're remodeling it. Any of you who have worked on your gardens yesterday, it was looking pretty miserable for a while while certain things were being pulled out because the artist doesn't want to see their their work to be seen until it's ready. So the artist would work with this cloth and keep working and working and the only time you knew that it was proper for you to come in is the artist would take his face cloth and put it at the door and that was the sign that you could come in. On the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. Coming out of the grave, he left a sign for his disciples to say, it is really finished. What I began on the cross, I finished in resurrection. Jesus was leaving it because at that moment, the scripture says, John saw and he believed. There's not enough evidence to believe yet. An empty tomb doesn't prove anything. Being distraught doesn't prove anything. But there was a message that his Savior had led for him. It is finished. Now that little adverb at the beginning of this passage, three letters... It's an adverb of time. Now, in Greek, it's two letters. It's not only dividing chapter 19 and chapter 20, it's running a line down through all calendars. It runs a line through the historical calendar. B.C. becomes A.D. It runs a line through the religious calendar. The old covenant becomes the new covenant. It runs a line through the chronological calendar. The temporary life gets released unto the eternal life. Because he's alive, it changes everything in our life. This is the gospel I deliver to you. Christ crucified. Christ buried. Christ risen. And he appeared to many. It changed everything about those early believers' lives. Ten of the apostles die as martyrs for that truth. You don't die for something that is a myth that you made up. Eventually, some of you bail. You don't go out and say, He is risen and hang on to it while your life is being ripped from you, there's nothing to gain in telling that story. In the same way... If we will recognize the truth of this message, it will change everything about us. Paul says in another place, if we will believe in our heart that Christ is risen from the dead and confess with our mouths that he is Lord, we will be saved. There will come a line right down through our calendar that changes everything. Temporary gets swallowed up in eternal. Even the things that are dying in our life come alive. You heard it in Paul's words. He says it this way, The saying has been released to us, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If the victory of resurrection of Jesus swallows up death, it swallows up everything. Yesterday, when I lowered Ann Vincent's body into the ground, a family could say, bless the Lord, because it wasn't the end of the story, it's the ongoing story. Last December, when I lowered my brother-in-law's body into the ground, we could say as a family, bless the Lord. Yes, there's pain, yes, there's grief, but Jesus has swallowed up death with victory and resurrection. Anything that's dying in your life, the diagnosis of sickness, Jesus comes against that the recommendation that you will not get through to the next place, Jesus overcomes that. The notice that says you've lost your job, Jesus overcomes that. The note that comes from someone that says, I no longer want to be a part of your life, Jesus overcomes that. All those things are swallowed up. The resurrection isn't just for the future, the resurrection is for now. And when we believe in our hearts, everything gets released. my dear friends, house fires are swallowed up in resurrection. God will be glorified in your life. That text you sent this morning is a declaration that death is not won, that victory is coming, and Jesus is going to be glorified in this. The war is not over. We will continue to do battle, but the resurrected one changes everything about the things we experience. So what is robbing you of your life today? Believe in your heart. Confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. risen risen. risen Amen.